0: Here it is, again. One, two, three, four! I believe that the music I heard is a killer. It's a killer of hope. It's a killer of spirit. It's, about it's a basically not And Devo
1: plays for Muffy's party.
0: We bring you an act who at
2: first may shock you. The Mystic Knights of the Oingo Boingo! Let's go!
1: Hey, everybody, I'm Rob. I'm Joseph. And welcome to... To the November 1979 edition of Deep Dives and Deep Cuts, A History of Punk, Post-Punk, New Wave, 1976 to 1986. We
2: are almost there.
1: I can feel it. Just one month after this. This is
2: going to be a lively conversation (laughs) that we're going to have tonight for sure. Yeah. Uh, I I don't think there's a single album here that I don't have strong feelings about one way or the other.
1: I have a I have a prediction. Mm, what's that? That is that there is an album that you absolutely cannot stand that I absolutely love.
2: Um okay. Okay. I may be
1: wrong about that, but I got a feeling. That
2: narrows it down to um about half. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm I'm exaggerating. But but yeah, I have strong feelings about all of yeah, them. Cool. Let's get things started on a good note. The jam Album uh, Setting Suns, an album that we have already discussed during our deep dive of the jam. Um, one of my favorite jam albums. This is a song called Eaten Rifles. <laughs>
1: I really like this album and I'm I'm so glad that we started the uh the set with it. Uh by the way. I'm really enjoying the band too. I'm I'm pretty stoked about all the jam stuff. So uh and Eatin' Rifles. Good good tune.
2: Yeah, it was uh it was their biggest hit in the UK up to that point. Mm-hmm. Um pretty pretty significant song for them. Uh, we, of course, in a couple of minutes, will uh, have a more in depth conversation about um, setting suns by the JAM. But first, as always, we got to. We're gonna cover a couple of things. First and foremost, I just want to remind everybody that we are talking about music. Music is art and there is nothing more subjective than art. This is an opinion show, but even so, we do try to be mindful not to get too opinionated. It's gonna be hard this episode, uh, because ultimately we are here to celebrate this extraordinary music that was released during a pretty unique period of time. Speaking of which, Professor Rob, do you yeah. want to edify us? What was going on November in uh, 1979?
1: Um, you know, a whole lot of stuff. So we've got some uh, U.S. number one hits, uh, for instance, Rise by Herb Alpert, who's been in the news a, a bunch around this time, Still by the Commodores and Babe by Styx. There were some television debuts, Nightline and Young Maverick, some notable movies, The Rose, The Fish at Save Pittsburgh. The fish that saved Pittsburgh. Yeah, uh, um, a notable movie. I have honestly have never heard of that, but
2: uh, it was it was a um, very very slim pickings for both TV and movies uh, yeah. that month. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, uh, notable events in the US uh, or, or around the world, I guess. The U.S.'s worst oil spill disaster, ten uh, point seven million gallons occurred in Galveston Bay, Texas. Also, Iranian students seized the U.S. Embassy in Tehran, taking 90 hostages for 444 days, Joseph. Um, yeah. Also, Olympic Committee vote voted to readmit China after 20 years of uh, keeping them out of the Olympics. So, mm-hmm. that's, that's it. That's what you have.
2: That was going on in November of 79.
1: November of 79.
2: A little bleak. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, I mean, it was it was it was good for China. They got to get back into the Olympics.
2: Well, yeah, I was thinking more like the oil spills and young maverick hostage yeah, yeah. taking and <laughs> the that fish stuff. that saved Pittsburgh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm with yeah. You. <laughs> One more thing um, before we jump back into setting sun, suns by the jam. We heard from a, a listener in Australia. Um, mm-hmm. He is, uh, Australia is getting represented um, and we, we really appreciate it. Uh, I feel like we're in good hands with Ryan, who's gonna make sure that our inclusion of uh, Australian new wave and punk bands um, is going to be as complete as possible. Yeah. So that's excellent. Um, we're, we're actually going to be talking uh, um, about an album that he suggested from a band neither of us had ever heard of. Right. Uh, just this morning, we got a follow-up email from him talking about two other November releases. It was just a little too late for us to include them here, but we will get to them before the end of the season. So one of them, I'm not quite sure how... I missed it, so that's mental as anything. Um, is that a band that you were familiar with?
1: Not at all, I haven't heard of them.
2: I I actually had one of their albums um, on cassette at some point, I don't remember that much about it. So I was aware of them, but somehow when we were compiling the list, it just slipped past me. The other one is a band I had never heard of called Jimmy and the Boys. Just too short notice for us to include in this episode. But um, before the end of the season, before we um, ask people submit their best of lists, we will cover both of those albums. Yeah. So thank you so much to yeah. to Ryan.
1: Way to be way to be alive, Ryan. That's great.
2: And keeping uh, uh, keeping keepin Australia represented, which is which is fantastic. Okay, let's uh, let's talk about. Uh, The jam's release, Setting Sons, this is one of the jam's most highly acclaimed albums. I think both you and I, we, of course, talked about this album when we covered the jam in our Deep Dive episode. Mm -hmm. Uh, At that point, we heard the songs Private Hell and Little Boy Blue. Um, This is my second favorite jam album. Um, And I think you, you ranked it pretty darn high too.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I did. I honestly don't remember where it was, but it is, it is a pretty great album.
2: I was actually really looking forward to revisiting this album. And Mm -hmm. uh, I guess, I guess my expectations were a little too high. So I was a little disappointed coming back to it. Um, I mean, there, there are some great songs. Uh, Eaton Rifle, which we started things off with. Um, that was the big hit off of this album. Uh, and then, of course, the two other songs that we heard in the deep dive. Those are the three high points for me on the album. Gotcha. So I was really thinking coming into this season that Setting Suns would be a very uh, a real strong candidate for my personal top 10 list of 79 but i don't think that's going to happen it's it's a good it's a it's a really good album Mm -hmm. but in a year like this really good is not quite good enough to make the top 10 gotcha how are you feeling about it well uh
1: you you know so i enjoy the jam quite a bit every time i hear Mm -hmm. hear their music i'm i'm happy i'm stoked um Mm -hmm. but I, and I do, again, I do think this is still a great album. Um, but I have to say that listening to it over again, I didn't quite feel the excitement that I have with their other stuff. And I really mm-hmm. wasn't, I'm not in a place where I'm going to put that on my top 10 list. You know, I'm not even considering mm-hmm. it. It's, it's just one of those, it's not, it, it didn't grab me as much as I, I wanted it, much like you. Again, mm-hmm. I think in in the ranking of, the jams albums I, I still i enjoy it quite a bit um but yeah. i would like mm-hmm. to go back and look at my list and kind of see where i placed it before as to you know yeah. i'm a i'm a different person now <laughs> yeah <laughs> but but still there are some great songs as you mentioned and eaten rifles is, is one of them so
2: my prediction at the beginning of the season was that um it is going to make uh the final top 10 and okay. i still think that that's true um but but yeah, I, I'm just I'm not quite as excited about it as I thought I was. Um, so, you know, go figure. I I got to point out the the cover tune on this album, yeah. uh, cover of Heat Wave, yeah. which oh, is boy. just god awful. <laughs> <laughs> we were, yeah. you know, and and I was I I was thinking back to. couple episodes ago we were we were talking about the slits and we were talking about um their pretty decent version of heard it through the grapevine Mm -hmm. and how that was sort of the exception to the rule and um heat wave sort of illustrates that um yeah so you put them up side by side and it would be sort of a good good um example of how to do it right and and how to do it wrong uh, I mean well, that's totally subjective obviously yeah. Yeah, but yeah. um seems like there there are a number of albums that we're gonna talk about tonight that have pretty worthless covers <laughs>
1: <laughs> well the first the uh, first time I'd heard this cover I I remember just like I almost fell out of my chair I was like what in the world are they doing um, yeah you know wh- what would what would make you want to do that cover i mean it just (laughs) it seems it's out of place that's all yeah
2: yeah 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 so that is um the jams album uh setting suns doesn't sound like it's a real contender for either of our top 10 lists but um i suspect that it's going to make a lot of lists and will probably be on the final list
1: Right. So up next, we've got the Boomtown Rats with The Fine Art of Surfacing. And the Boomtown Rats, this is their third album. Of course, they're an Irish band that we've already talked about. And when I came to this album, I realized that this album is the one that I'm most familiar with. And it's because of one song. Um, It's it's uh, so this. So the song is I Don't Like Mondays. Of course, everybody knows that song. It's probably their most popular. It was based on the January 29th, 1979 school shooting by, by a 16-year-old girl who, when asked why she did it, simply said, I don't like Mondays. And, and that event had re- really just happened you know, before, before this album was, was recorded. It just happened. So it was really fresh in everybody's mind.
2: If I remember correctly, the Boomtown Rats were actually touring the U.S.
1: Mm-hmm. when it
2: happened. So yeah, it was indeed. like prominent in the news and, um, you know, sort of top of mind for Bob Geldof.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, One yeah. of the cool things about, about that tour was they were totally eating up all of the, the culture of American life at the time. Um, you know, in in research for this, I flipped through pictures of of these guys at Disneyland and in the Knott's Berry Farm and all these like these American or Californian place California places, you know that they were definitely eating up the, you know, like I said, the culture. But things that were going on in the U.S. at the time definitely hit Bob Geldof's uh, radar because that that's kind of the person he is. So. Now this album peaked at number 7 on the UK Albums Chart and 103 on the Billboard's 200, which I mean yay for getting on Billboard's 200, but 103 man. I I got to say after listening to this album a few times, I I really enjoy it and and I kind of expected that it would be a little bit a little bit higher, but no Yeah,
2: way. I don't I don't ever remember hearing um Boomtown Rats on the radio when I was a kid. I mean Really, we, not we even knew. I don't like Mondays. No.
1: Yeah, no, yeah. no, no, I definitely heard that song. Mm, mm-hmm. uh, but that was the only song. Mm-hmm. So, uh, now, in my opinion, this this album is Bob Geldof kind of, it, the Boomtown Rats at their best, listening to this album. I, I mean, the lyrics and the music, everything really is, is tight. It's all, it's just so energetic and well-paced. Um I feel like it's definitely some of the, the band's best work. And you, sir?
2: Well, um, I I agree that it is some of the band's best work. I have <laughs> um, complicated feelings about um, this album. Just mm-hmm. before I get into them, I just want to confirm I, I hopped onto Spotify and... It is. Uh, I don't like Mondays. Is indeed their most uh, stream song by like more than ten times the next song, which is Rat Trap. So yeah, um, they. I, I. don't think that you could even call them here in the United States. I don't think you could even call them a one-hit wonder. I think they're a no-hit wonder um, here here in the U.S. Because I don't. I don't believe they ever hit the top forty. Yeah, um, but. But that is certainly what they're famous for. Um, so the Boomtown Rats, I mean, this is their third album. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, yeah, that's right.
2: Yeah, yeah. And uh, quite a departure from their first two. So typically... I like the type of music that the Boomtown Rats were doing in their first two albums, as opposed to what they're doing in this album.
1: Ah, okay.
2: However, I would say that this type of music they're doing in the Fine Art of Surfacing suits them much better. Mm-hmm. So I never really bought them as like a post-punk um new wave edgy kind of um a band just their 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 music just wasn't working for me here they're doing something I, i don't really know what to call it um the best i could do is kind of describe it as um not it doesn't sound the same as dire straits right. but it's the same kind <laughs> of approach where mm-hmm. it's you know they're obviously listening to a lot of punk and post punk and new wave but the music that they're they're actually producing is much more like mor adult rock Mm-hmm. Um, with some new wave flavorings, which is like not a recipe to like win my heart. To yeah, mix my gotcha. metaphors, <laughs> um, but however, this is this suits them very well. Um, I, I think this is a really really solid album. You know, when I was a teenager, um, you know. Bob Geldof became just part of the culture because of uh, what was it Live Aid, mm-hmm. um, right? And so, I had a couple of his solo albums, and they they felt a lot like this. Um, and I I I always like kind of like them, but could never get very excited about about it, and wasn't sure what was wrong with me because I was never really connecting with with his stuff and then i read a review um of one of his solo albums and i think it was i think the album was called uh deep in the heart of nowhere which was an album that i had and uh there was a a line in that review that i remember to this day which is this album proves that it's not the boomtown rats that that's holding Bob Geldof back, which I thought was harsh, but I absolutely agreed with. Oh, so, so wow. I think I think I'm just not like a Bob Geldof guy. Yeah, I, I just yeah. I don't really get his appeal. Uh, I I remember being puzzled when we were researching the first album that they released, reading some of the contemporary reviews. The reviewers were referring to Bob Geldof's charisma, and mm. I I just don't get that. I mean, he he might have been um, uh, an excellent performer, like on stage when when he was performing, um, but as far as what I've heard uh, on the albums, just I just don't find it particularly engaging. Ah, so, okay. but. Um uh, I think they're doing everything right. I mean this this album feels like the Boomtown Rats um reaching their full potential. I just I just don't think I, I don't think they have a lot of brilliance in them. But it's a really solid album. I like it the same way I like dire straits albums.
1: Ah, uh, I see. So, All right. Well, that's that conversation is for another podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so, um,
2: <laughs> so we, we we definitely need to get to some music on yeah. here. Uh, so let's let's uh, tackle your song first.
1: Yeah. So I picked a uh, wind chill factor minus a zero.
2: Yeah, this has always been my favorite uh, Boomtown Rats song, um, and I think. It is a, by far their coolest.
0: Like could you change the subway systems? I wrote those tunnels like a six foot mold. Like in my gun, I was gospin for air I made it to your place, I was praying you be all right. We, we really shouldn't be alone tonight. Let's go to
1: it was hard for me to choose between this song and having my picture taken Mm -hmm. um but listening to the windchill factor i'm like there was probably a little like just a little taste of disco in there and and then going back and listening to it again, I'm like, or oh, was there? Did I mishear something where did Where was that but but I think that there was there was a little like a little taste of disco in that in that song, and i I thought, boy, Joseph, I wonder if Joseph's going to like this
2: well i, so. I that's that's interesting, I, I've never thought um that. Uh, I've never made that connection with with that song. I just think it's one of the sort of like tightest, coolest, yeah. edgiest songs that the Boomtown Rats um, did. Uh, I've always it's been on you know my permanent playlist for forever. Um, yeah.
1: Cool. Well, yeah, it. it, it I enjoy the song a lot actually, and and yeah. I. I think that it's my new favorite. You know, I, I think mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, I don't like Mondays was such uh, I mean, you know, it was so common and I heard mm-hmm. it. I heard it all the time, um, yeah. mostly because it was on my playlists, and, you know, and I played yeah. it on MWR. But but I think this song has probably beat that out as my favorite on the album.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, it it's a great song. Now, the song that I picked is much more I, I like it but i think it's a good example of of what is typical for this album so like a really well crafted um song you know that almost sounds like it could be on a jay giles album or dire straits album or something like that um but 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 well crafted and catchy and they're doing all the the, the rock pop things pretty well. And that is a song called some, Someone's Looking At You. On a night like
0: this, I deserve to get kissed at least once or twice. You come over to my place. you screaming, bloomer, murder need some place to hide. Hey, well, I wish you'd keep quiet. Imaginations run right and these paper thin walls.
2: When the place comes ablaze
0: With a thousand drop names I don't know who to call. i got a friend
1: yeah it's it's a good song um and you're you're right about the jay giles boy that i hadn't i hadn't really made that connection but listening to it now i i think you're absolutely right um it's it's interesting going back i mean you know hearing you talk about how they remind you of dire straits i, I never really thought of that either and and this song itself is is that kind of strummy kind of kind of bouncy but you know anyway yeah, I
2: don't... I don't know what to call that music. Yeah, I
1: don't. I don't either. It's it's not edgy enough to be pub rock, even. But, it, but
2: there there is no genre of music that that suggests it. It's kind of just right in the middle of all of it. Um, yeah. Yeah, and you know, to be clear, I think that that Bob Geldof is is a lovely fellow from from everything that I know about him, oh, and yeah, he certainly. Yeah. Um, Contributed a lot to um, uh, pop culture. And a great Uh, activist.
1: Yeah,
2: yeah, Yeah. absolutely. As far as musical sensibilities, not something I can get particularly excited about.
1: Well, that was the Boomtown Rats fine art of surfacing. And I have to say, it's not going to make my top 10 list. Again, mm-hmm. I enjoy the album considerably, but there's, we're at the end of the year, and there's just so much going on this year, so yeah. Yeah. Uh, it didn't get close. And
2: I would be really surprised if it doesn't make at least somebody's top ten list, but um, it is, uh, too kind of... Uh, Oatmeal-y for me.
1: (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Damn near granola, right? (laughs) Very good.
2: Okay, let's move on to um, a solo album by Hugh Cornwell. Um, This is actually Hugh Cornwell and Robert Williams. Of course, Hugh Cornwell. Uh, was the original lead singer of The Stranglers. He took a hiatus f- from The Stranglers and uh, recorded an album with the drummer of Captain Beefheart. Nice. Uh, so he he flew to Los Angeles and um, went into the studio, only had a couple of songs written, and they just sort of like started cranking out stuff and the studio started sending bills to the label who didn't even know that he was recording an album. <laughs> <laughs> but they That's paid great. him, paid it anyways. A number of notable guest artists appear. So the um, Mother's Burrow brothers from uh, Devo, making an appearance in fact uh you will hear them doing the lead vocals on one of the songs that we're going to feature tonight and then also uh Ian Dury makes yeah. an appearance as well as a, a number of um musicians from uh Cap- Captain Beefheart's band uh, helping their, their buddy Robert Williams out. Yes. This album is called Nosferatu.
1: Yeah, Famous Vampire.
2: And we actually already heard a song off of this album. So when we were, well, with all of the supplemental episodes, I'm not sure which one it was, but at one point, <laughs> we we went out <laughs> on uh, a song called Big Bug, um, and anyone who is familiar with the Stranglers probably recognized Hugh Cornwell's uh, voice uh, on that. And um, because I love the Stranglers, and I love, well, I love Hugh Cornwell-led Stranglers. And there's only there was only ten albums, so you know I consumed those long, long ago. Um it was it was kind of fun to discover this album uh, a couple of years ago. Uh, it's a weird album, challenging, um fun, just wild. I mean, you know, Captain Beefheart is all over this album. Yeah. <laughs> the, the 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 spirit and flavor of when when somebody goes, oh, I want to make an album with a member of Captain Beefheart, you kind of get a sense of what direction they want to go in. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, it's it's um, challenging and fun, and um, the music from song to song is, is there's a consistency to it, but l- but. Vocal wise, it's just kind of all over the place, uh, which I don't—I don't know how I feel about it. It's a little—it's a little disjointed. But uh, what do you think about about this album? Uh,
1: You know, I kind of thought it was—I mean, I thought it was interesting. Um, Mm -hmm. And I'm not particularly a Hugh Cornwell fan or or a Stranglers fan. I mean, I like them, but Mm -hmm. but this I felt was. Definitely different than what he had done before, and oh, yeah. uh, and and so I I kind of like some of the gothy tones to it. I mm-hmm. like uh, uh, I I found that it was thematic and it had some some interesting themes. It wasn't one mm-hmm. theme that they wrote on, but several. Um, mm-hmm. But they were definitely writing with that whole vampire idea, that vampire mood. Um, mm-hmm. So so I I was just a really big fan of the whole moodiness and the gothiness and you know Mm -hmm. that kind of vibe um of course you know i mentioned theme it's it changes almost with every song but Mm -hmm. (laughs) but i liked i liked it a lot Mm
2: -hmm. so let's talk about your pick Uh uh-huh yeah yeah (laughs) what did you pick and why did you pick it? And why do you hate me so?
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: to torture me like this. <laughs> nah, you're one of my dearest
1: friends, one of my favorite people. Um, it. Uh, so I, I picked White Room, which, of course, is a Cream cover. Um, and I'm going to admit, nobody can do that song better than Cream, which I'm a huge fan of, you know. Uh, but again, this... This kind of—it's like, you know, like I said before, I love goth music. This is kind of a gothy cream cover, and and it—it it was just so interesting to me that I was like, yeah, this is cool. I I I'm gonna play this because I like this song. <laughs>
0: um,
1: you know, and and it's not so off base as far as covers go, but it definitely has that like. Gothy vibe to it, and I just thought it was cool.
2: I can I consider this cover a tragic misstep. I mean,
1: more so than Heatwave.
2: <laughs> I'm a little hard pressed to think of a singer more ill-suited to sing this song than Hugh Cornwell.
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, uh,
2: uh, m- maybe if it was in a different key. Uh, but it's just he his his voice does is not suited for this song. I mean, the only thing that I like about this version of the song is they they're doing some interesting percussion stuff, mm-hmm. um, as you would expect from the drummer of Captain Beefheart, um, particularly in the instrumental. Interludes, um, and I, I'm not a big percussionist, so I'm not sure exactly what they're using. I think it's timpanis um, yeah. that that just add a really interesting texture to it. Uh, but the the vocals are baffling to me. Um, it's it sounds like he just didn't really know the song and came in and just did one one take after he had been running outside so he was kind of out of breath or something
1: yeah (laughs) and i love hugh Cornwell,
2: but but i don't i don't get this cover at all it it was the only song released as a single Mm -hmm. and needless to say it did not get any traction so so let's go ahead and Listen to White Room by uh, Hugh (laughs) Cornwell and uh, Robert Williams.
1: Thank you. Thank you for humoring me.
2: (laughs) In a white
0: room with black The never shines Ways in this place where the shadows run from the sun. You said no slews, do no secure at the station. I
1: I feel like this is one of my favorite cover songs. Um from this era I have to I have to tell you I and I'm not backing down from that I I really enjoy it <laughs> um and I I kind of think you're wrong about Hugh Cornwall not being suited to it I think that that they tweaked it enough that that, that 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 sound that he's kicking out is you know it it works I think it works um you know the song wasn't written for him and he didn't perform it originally I think I think, uh, like I said, I don't think anybody can beat Cream's version of this song. Um, but as far as a cover song, I, I think it's done. I think it's done in a way I, I just it's done in a way I like it.
2: Cool. Um, I I do not see any point in continuing this conversation, so uh, I I think we should move on to my pick <laughs> off of this okay. album. Um, it's basically. A Devo song, um, but on this album with music created by uh, um, Hugh Corwell and the drummer for Captain Beefheart is exactly what you'd expect. Um, so, So this is a song called Rhythmic Itch.
1: like this song a lot and um i don't know if you were aware of this we may have talked about this but rhythmic itch was actually the song that i almost chose and and you probably would have liked it a little bit better if i had but 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 i almost picked this song this is this is my favorite song on the album Mm -hmm. and um i i find it wacky yep and and it makes me ask the question like what did hugh cornwell want to do through through this album that that he couldn't with his band and almost as soon as i asked that question i answered well for one this song um (laughs) it's it's fun and it's Mm -hmm. wacky and um, it's pretty damn dynamic there's so much going on as far as all the sounds that are that are flinging at you i just yeah it's a cool tune
2: yeah, by far my two favorite songs off of this album are "Big Bug" and "Rhythmic Itch." Yeah,
1: yeah, good um, choice. So
2: th- i I welcome this album just as somebody who loves early Hugh Cornwell um, uh, music, but um, it is uh, not uh, even remotely close to making my top 10 list, and I would be very surprised if it made anybody's. But, mm. um, if, if you, if you love early Stranglers, um, stuff, uh, it's, you, uh, you should definitely check this album out j- just once. It's, it's a weird wild ride.
1: Yeah. Not on my list either, but, uh, <laughs> unfortunately. So, moving on to one of your favorites and mine, of course. <laughs> uh this is Mar- we're going on, going into Marianne Faithfull's album Broken English. Now, I've never been a Marianne Faithfull fan. And I've heard her stuff and it's just, you know, it, it, she's very stylized in her sound. It's just never been something I've I've been I've gravitated towards. Uh, of course, I listened to this album and uh, and learned a lot about her. Marianne Faithful, she was, of course, part of the original British invasion in the 1960s, and she she's at the time she was well known for her melodic and higher pitched voice, and uh, unfortunately, some bad habits and uh, some some really bad laryngitis in the 1970s gave her. You know th- this permanent raspy, low-pitched sound, and I guess I shouldn't say unfortunately. The way she got there was unfortunate, but it has given her a sound that is unmistakable. Uh, Marianne Faithful, um, and of course we're more familiar with that today. Now, Broken English is the album we're talking about. It was her seventh studio album and uh, recorded on Island Records. Now, this one is highly regarded by fans and by Marianne Faithful herself as as being her masterpiece. Um, her fifth album came out in 1967, and her sixth album came out in 1976. Apparently, she was in recovery from the drugs and those bad habits and a bad relationship with Mick Jagger. So after her comeback in 76, she, well... Seven, in 79 because she went from 76 to nothing until 79 so in 79 she decided to modernize her sound make it more electronic she put steve winwood on the keyboards and blended like punk and reggae and blues and all kinds of stuff to get the album we had before us this album peaked at number 82 on billboards 200 she even got a Grammy nomination for Best Female Rock Vocal Performance on this. So um, I, in researching it, learned a lot about Marianne Faithful. I actually listened to a lot of her music, that even stuff that wasn't on this album, but of course this album. And and I find her to be extremely fascinating. Uh, and I ended up kind of digging this album a little bit. It's, it's not one of my favorites, but I, I actually kind of like it. Now, Joseph, tell me what you think about Marianne Faithful's album, Broken English. (laughs) (laughs) Well,
2: um, you know, it's funny because, um, you know, I I I think here in the States, for the most part, Marianne Faithful is is kind of more famous for uh, the work that she did in the 60s. Um, Mm -hmm. My only knowledge of her when I was younger is that you know when I would be flipping through my aunt and uncle's record collections, you know, uh, with all of the hippie rock and the the you know with all the bands that played in Woodstock and all of that, Marianne Faithful would be right in there among mm-hmm. that, and then. Later on, as an adult, every once in a while, I come across a reference of Broken English and Mary Ann Faithfull doing a, a a New Wave album and how highly regarded it is. And I was always, that always struck me as, as curious, but for some reason, I never got around to actually seeking it out. And so in preparation for this episode, it was the first time that I heard Broken English. I was anticipating it, um, and very, very curious about it. Yeah. And, um, I, uh, do not like it. Um, Mm -hmm. and my take on, on the, the, uh, how this, album came to be, I think is a little bit different than yours as far as the research that I've done. Mm -hmm. So I kind of got the impression that she, she had these songs, she went into the studio, she was recording them and the producer said, Hey, let's make this a new wave album. And my understanding is that most of the tracks were like recorded. And then the producer pulled in Stevie Winwood, um, Mm -hmm to put down some keyboard synthesizer tracks and to make it um, new wavy. And that, I totally believe that because when I listen to this album, I don't hear new wave in the sense that these were songs that were created by somebody who was really inspired by the new wave movement. Well, yeah, it really that's kind true. of sounds like what it is is that she just came and did, you know, her songs, and then a producer decided, hey, we're going to, we're going to put some synthesizers and stuff in. Um And I, I think it works okay. Uh, uh, but uh, ultimately, her sensibilities um, are, I feel kind of the same way I feel about her that I do with, with Patty Smith. I mean, I, I don't, it's not really resonating with me that much, um and I anticipated that you would like it um mm-hmm. more than more than I do. Uh, um, but it's you know it's okay. Um, it's curious now there's there's a phrase that I'm gonna use for the first time, but it's not gonna be the last time. Um, and I think that the most significant thing about this album to me is um, there's a phrase that I've used uh, for myself, which is new wave tourist. So I Mm -hmm. think she's the first new wave tourist, right? Uh, As far as like an artist who has been well-established and then new wave starts bubbling up. And then, so they do a new wave album. And, you know, in the next several years, there are going to be tons of artists that do that. I mean, most pop artists are going to start flirting with New Wave and they're going to do a New Wave album here or there. A lot of those we won't cover in this podcast because, you know, we don't want to spend our time talking about Oh, the Billy Joel album that has a little new wave in it, or right, the Tom right. Petty album that has some new right. wave in it, or the Sticks. Well, we will talk about Sticks. Kilroy <laughs> was here because it's it's just such a weird album, but we're not going to include it in our, in our regular r- rundown. So, I think That's that she That's is true. the original new wave tourist. Um, all the songs are super solid. Uh, yeah. This it's just not not the kind of approach the kind of, uh, well, uh, that, that I care for.
1: So, you know what, you know, what's interesting about my experience my history with Marianne faithful is she's always been somebody that I've listened to. Like I have a couple albums in my own collection that have Marianne faithful on them, not as the primary vocalist. Well, ex- with the exception of Lou Reed's the Raven, uh mm-hmm. where he does the entire album is themed with Edgar Allan Poe mm-hmm. um she's she's on that album of course and she's got a little bit in a Metallica album um <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and and so I've never like I said I've never really been a huge fan of of hers um you know she's just been kind of seasoning on things for me mm-hmm. uh, but I was talking to a coworker today I said, Oh yeah, I'm reading about Marianne Faithful. And she said, Oh, I loved her stuff. I could sing every song from hers in the 60s. And then she disappeared in 1970. And I said, well, n- no, in 1979 she cut her seventh album. And she's like, No, wait, really? You mean is she still alive? And then <laughs> Marianne Faithful's actually cut several albums after 1979. You should listen mm-hmm. to them, Nancy. So but but I learned so much about her and I think that definitely colors how I appreciate their music and how I mm-hmm. how I vibe with what I'm listening to. So mm-hmm. um I'm I'm not a great big fan still, but I'm I'm think I'm going to going to try to listen to more some more of her music.
2: And honestly, I would say that that more than half of the album, even the instrumentation doesn't sound particularly new wave. Um, right. the, the title track, the first song on the album is the new waviest, uh, Broken English. That's not the song we're going to listen to today. What is is what uh, What is your pick
1: off of this? Uh, so I chose a song that, I don't know, harkens to maybe some, some baggage that she had, a tune called Guilt.
0: I never
2: Now, before we move on, um, we have to talk about the last song on this album. (laughs) (laughs) Do you you know which one I'm talking about?
1: Uh, I do. Go ahead.
2: (laughs) Yeah. So um, (laughs) the first time that I listened to this album, I was at work. Um, I had my headphones on. Um, and, um, I was listening to it, just doing my, my work and, um, got all the way up until the last song, um, which is a (laughs) song called, why'd you do it? And I listened to it and then took my headphones off and got up and walked past one of the interns who gave me a funny look and said, what were you just listening to? And I'm like, Mary Ann Faithful, why? She's like, well, I was watching your expression Uh, Just a couple of minutes ago and you would be working and then suddenly you would just like look up sharply and your eyebrows would raise and then you'd scowl and shake your head and then go back working and then a couple of seconds later you do it again and you did it like four or five times. Um, so this is, I am not like a Shrieking Violet. I I don't get offended easily by raunchy lyrics, but this is some of the raunchiest stuff I think I've ever heard. And, um, it is, that is kind of the point of that song. Every single line in that is, is like Built to get a rise, to be as provocative and offensive as possible, um, and it's it's, I, I'm kind of blushing right now. Just kind of just kind of thinking about it. And did did you notice the the uh, writing credits on that song? No, I didn't. So, that song is credited to every member of the band. Um, which are mostly men. Um, and so I I have no evidence to back this up, but my guess is that they got like really drunk one night and they were just <laughs> sitting around maybe playing cards and just trying to outdo each other with, the, with, with just the raunchiest, most sexually explicit stuff that they could come up with and someone just wrote it down and Marianne faithful went into the recording studio with that laundry list and just started spewing out lines. There <laughs> it, you is, go. it is pretty remarkable in, um, in its, its extreme explicitness. Um, and that that is neither an endorsement nor a condemnation of that song it is just of note i i just i couldn't talk about this album without noting um it that that is a singular song
1: so so there you have it kids uh each vegetable stay in school and ask your parents permission before you listen to the last song on Marianne Faithful's album Broken English. This is, uh, <laughs> I, I think it's safe for me to talk for Joseph. I'm going to say for both of us that this is not going to make our top 10 list.
2: <laughs> yeah, but it is it is a highly revered album, so yeah, yeah. I I expect yeah. it will make some lists. Um, I I would be happy list. to
1: see it on somebody's yeah. list uh this year it's yeah. you know yeah. marianne faithful and a lot of fans say that it is a masterpiece so yeah and
2: know. i i think it's like entirely appropriate for you know putting together playlists of like new wave classic kind of seminal new wave songs that um broken english the title track would would be a part of that nice yeah cool. Okay, let's move on to the debut album from a band called Adam and the Ants. This is an album called Dirk Wears White Socks. It's a troubled album, I would say. It's interesting. (laughs) It's a bumpy ride. Yeah. The next album that Adam and the Ants releases will be sort of a phenomenon, more so in... U- the UK and Europe than in the US and just about all of the the band members will have left from this album to when um, Kings of the Wild Frontier uh, gets released uh, so it's really a, a completely different band. I had this when I was in high school and liked it well enough, but, and so I was kind of excited about revisiting it. Yeah. And, cause I remember, oh, there were like at least four songs that I really, really liked. I don't know what version of that, I, I had it on cassette. It was the late eighties, uh, but it was obviously some sort of a reissue because all four songs that I was looking forward to were not included on the original release.
1: <laughs> oh no! The
2: songs, Xerox, Whip in My Valise, uh, Kick and Physical, uh, were the the four songs that that I really kind of enjoy the most. And I was uh, crestfallen to to see that I couldn't feature them tonight because they were not on the the uh, the original release. Oh, I should also remember uh, mention that. Three members of uh, that appear on this album went on to form um, Bow Wow Wow. Yeah. Tell me if this makes any sense to you because I don't see it at all. Okay. Adamant says that when they made this album, they were trying to make like a Donna Summers album. And to that, I go, huh?
1: Yes, I'm with you on that. <laughs> In fact, I almost said it out loud just now. <laughs> wow.
2: Okay, so so tell me where you're at. Is this the first time that you've heard this album?
1: It's so it's the first time I've heard this album, and um, I was a little I was surprised, and the reason being is because. I thought I knew Adam and the ants. I certainly in, in junior junior high school was familiar with Adam ant. Um, and, and some Adam and the ants. And I was like, yeah, I I like that stuff. And then I played this and I was like, this is nothing like what I've heard before. (laughs) You know, it just was not to me. It wasn't the same band. And as it turns out, it was indeed not the same band. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I, I'm not crazy about this album. Not at all. And, uh, and I kind of miss, I kind of miss the Adamant that I remember. You know what I mean? Mm,
2: mm-hmm. For our European listeners, um, who probably think of Adam and the Ants or Adamant, um, you know, is the their heyday being um, Kings of the Wild Frontier. Here in the United States, the first that I heard of. Adam Ant was Goody Two-Shoes. That's probably his most yeah. oh, famous yeah. song here in the States. And what originally turned me on to his music, then I went back and listened to um, uh, Kings of the Wild Frontier, his, their, uh, Adam and the Ant's second album, and w- was blown away, just absolutely hooked. And that was that was probably... I don't know 86 85 86 mm-hmm. uh, so many many years after um, uh, you know that became sort of a phenomenon there in the UK this is a this is a very uneven album um it is I you are a much bigger fan of ecstasy's first album than I am mm-hmm. and I feel like this the songs are flawed in the same way as the songs off of uh, White Mus- e- Ecstasy's White Music are in the sense that mo- a lot of the songs feel like they're Frankenstein together with parts that don't quite fit within I can see the, that. W- within the song. Yeah, um, I can see that. Uh, very, very arty and precocious and... Pretentious. I'm referring now to Dirk Wears White Socks, not yeah. not to yeah, yeah. the the Ecstasy album. Um, but still, pretty interesting. There there yeah. are a lot of very interesting moments. Where, but is it's one of those that the whole is less than the sum of its parts.
1: I, I got to say that the reason I why you just you kind of pointed out the reason why i don't like this album as well as the reason why i liked uh, ecstasy's album (laughs) Mm, (laughs) you know mm -hmm. i i I heard ecstasy for such a long time and then i hear this other album that's like very different and very Mm -hmm. unique and and that's why i like that album so much and this is the same reason that i don't like this album so much Mm. because it's not you know it's not puss in boots it's not goody two-shoes it's 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 something totally different. Okay, so what is your pick off of this album? I picked a tune called Catholic Day.
2: Canada died in
1: I did this song, um, and it's probably the one song I really like on this album. Mm. Um, and I, again, I, I don't think it's a horrible album. I don't think it's bad. It's just not what mm-hmm. I wanted. You know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
2: Well, I, I think this song is a good example of what I was talking about as far as, as far as different parts kind of Frankenstein together mm-hmm. that that don't feel like they really fit I mean I feel like they they have to like cover up the defects in the songwriting by adding all of these s- s- sound bites and special yeah. effects and everything yeah. and like at the beginning um, yeah. so so severely flawed but but still not boring right definitely not boring. Um The song that I picked is um, a silly, silly song called Never Trust a Man with Egg on His Face. A man and a woman walking down the street With a son
0: and a daughter, it was oh so sweet When mummy turned to daddy and she said, My dear, writes out she will because the end is near then she
2: pulled out the gun, I saw the sparks Messed up the suit that he bought from Marx Because she'd heard devices from outer
0: space She'd heard devices from outer space She'd heard devices from outer space
1: listening to it again i'm reminded uh that it's a bit of a catchy tune and mm-hmm. uh and and i mean it's yeah it's, it's fine and it's silly but it's uh i don't know it's kind of it's kind of melodic it, it <laughs> again not what i expected
2: <laughs> the music actually works pretty well in this song the uh, the lyrics are just just uh, out there. Silly garbage. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I, 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 I I'm not sure what the point is. I don't think it is landing um, other than just being sort of um, arty and odd for the sake of mm-hmm. being arty and odd. There, there's probably a point to it, but I, I, I don't get it. And I, I guess I'm not motivated enough to really sit down and, and spend the time to puzzle out, you know, what's being said. But I like the music and um, it's not boring. It's not dull, (laughs) not typical at all.
1: Well, you got a chuckle or two out of me, so. (laughs) Yeah, yeah.
2: So that is Adam and the Ants uh, debut album, uh, an album called Dirk Wears White Socks. Um, And I I have no idea if uh, I... I just, I don't even know where to begin as far as like gauging whether or not there are people out there that, that love this album. I I just, I've, I wouldn't begin to guess. So it's quite possible that it appears on somebody's list, but uh, neither of us, right?
1: No, no, no. Neither of us. I I always feel like there's something for everyone and there's Mm -hmm. somebody out there who loves this album. And, and you know what? Embrace that, man. Just own it. Uh. I I kind of want to know who those people are. I'm not mm-hmm. targeting you. I just want you to know that. <laughs> um <laughs> but but I'm just I'm just curious. I mean, I I think it's great that there are people out there that love this album, you know. Mm-hmm. I I think that's that's wonderful. Enjoy it. But it's not me, that's for sure. So, moving on to uh Public Image Limited. This is uh this is their second studio album, metal box and mm-hmm. uh, it was recorded on Virgin Records. This album now it was first released as a three 12-inch 45s um, and then dropped from the catalog, only to be reissued again in I think February of 1980 as a standard vinyl uh, second edition. and it was it was two records, I believe, uh, at that point. Now, a lot of people say that this album was the defining album of PIL's catalog. Rolling Stone put it at number 461 of their 500 the 500 greatest albums of all time. That's not great. I don't I mean, most defining. It's in their 500. There's a lot of music. Um at the time, it was it was like all new, all different, experimental post-punk PIL. Um but uh, at any rate the second edition was i think more conveniently packaged it uh the sound quality was better when they reissued it so it it you know it did go on to be an album that people really liked but definitely mm-hmm. needed that overhaul so um i i kind of found it was an interesting album to be honest i'm not crazy mm-hmm. about it but mm-hmm. but i find I find the, some of these tunes to be a little moody and a little, um, I don't know. They just, they, some of them just grabbed me, you know, mm-hmm. um, what do you think about this album?
2: Well, before I get into that, I just, uh, clarification about the releases of it. So when mm-hmm. it was originally released, um, the 45s were in a metal box so that, that is actually referred to as metal box right so when it was released as a kind of a more traditional lp on vinyl um you know in the a regular sleeve it is um it was referred to as second edition and so if you go on spotify and you search for metal box you won't find it you have to search for second edition um so, so this yeah. this album is a vast improvement over the first one. The first one, <laughs> uh their the first album that PIL released uh didn't seem to really know what it wanted to be. It lacked um uh cohesion. I think it was confusing confusing and off putting. Whereas this um, there, there is a definite ethos to it, uh, yeah. which I really appreciate. Um, now, of course, I'm stating the obvious, but um, Public Image Limited is the band that is, was uh, fronted by uh, Johnny Rotten from right. John the Lydon, Sex yeah. Pistols, yep. who, uh, at this point, is it goes by uh, uh, John Lydon. And it is—it's really his show.
1: Yeah, that's and for I'm, sure. <laughs> I,
2: I am really impressed with um, how generous he is on this album. So he uh, really is not a musician. He—he, he, I think he plays maybe a little keyboard on one of the songs. But for the most part, he is the songwriter and singer, but not the musician. And surprised that there are several instrumental songs off of this album and um, a lot of the songs are really focused on the music more so than the vocals which is a little atypical for uh, you know front men of bands when they start a new band to to be that generous it's, um, well,
1: it's even atypical for him, especially because mm, he's mm-hmm. he's got a history, you know, of, yeah.
2: <laughs> of yeah. being
1: difficult. But yeah,
2: yeah, but but um, it is still it is still music put out by John Lyden, and so yep. it's challenging because that is his mission. His mission is to challenge you as a listener to push boundaries. Um, I think he just does, does a good job, but it's still a little bit of a rough sit for me because um, you know this. I, I don't have a, a, a natural tendency to gravitate towards this kind of music, but um, but I I understand the importance of this, and we're we're hearing. I don't know that we're hearing anything that is like drastically different than what we've already heard but we are hearing some nuances and some takes and tweaks and adjustments that that sound very fresh to me um and there are a couple of songs on here where John Lydon is is beginning to discover his new voice and his new um you know, idiosyncratic vocal style that is going to become like the signature sound of P.I.L. moving forward. So uh, probably the biggest hit, and that is um, in quotes. uh, Well, no, actually it wouldn't be the biggest hit off of this album. I think the, the biggest hit is was a song called Death Disco. But one of the more famous songs off of this is a song called Careering, where he's really, he's, he's really kind of setting the template for his vocal approach. Um, and um, also the song that I picked, uh, which we won't hear first, but when we get to it, you, you kind of hear him setting, getting into that rhythm. Uh, But the song that you picked, a song called The Suit, um, he's he's uh, much more experimental with his vocals.
1: Yeah, you know, uh, that's that is definitely for sure. Um, Before we get into that, I kind of wanted to point out, I mean, you you talked about how this is nothing we haven't heard before. I mean, you know, it's not it doesn't seem groundbreaking to you, but it is an album that a lot of people kind of hold as being one of the most influential, most important Mm -hmm. uh, albums Mm -hmm. of the Mm post-punk era. And a lot of bands were influenced. I mean, a lot of, a lot of bands were influenced by it. So I I find that, I find that pretty interesting.
2: Yeah. And, and I, I absolutely agree with everything that you said. And I don't think that it is in conflict with what, what I was saying because, because he is, he is taking elements um, from other Bands like Throbbing Gristles and mm-hmm. stuff like that, and and getting very focused and making it, it it cohesive and and something that like sucks you in as opposed to kind of pushes you away. If yeah. that makes sense, yeah, there yeah, there is totally. a real warmth to this song, uh, to to this album, both sonically but also in the material at the same time as it being challenging which yeah. i think is is its real strength you know yeah, it no, pulls you that. in and kind of punches you in the face at the same time it is your character
0: deep in your nature take one example sample and hold romance and replace the lack in yourself it is your nature Your nature. We see you climbing, improving the effort. Wearing my suit, it is your character. There is a limit over your shoulder. Everyone loves you until they know you.
1: So that was Suit by... By Public Image Limited. Now, it, I kind of wanted to go back to what you were talking about as far as his, basically his uh, his personality or his his mood. This is definitely a very moody John Lighten. Um The lyrics are pointed, and he's doing whatever the hell he wants to do here. I mean, it's that's kind of how he is. That's how he operates. But um, this song is, like you said, it's got a warmth to it. In fact, much of the album has that warmth, uh, which, in some ways, to me seems again atypical of John Lighton. So, <laughs> but he's doing whatever the hell he wants to do, and 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 he's running with it. So, I think he's doing a good job of that.
2: All right. Well, let's uh, let's get to my song. Um, this is a song called Memories, and um, moving forward, we will hear. Um, a lot more from PIL that, that kind of goes in this direction.
1: have a whole lot to say about that song except that it, I really dig one that vocal inflection that he uses and and the the bass in this in this tune that's mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. yeah, it's pretty cool it's interesting very interesting mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so uh like that was that was public image limiteds metal box uh again not gonna make my top ten just because there's so much going on. Um, but I'm glad I listened to it. I'm mm-hmm. glad that uh, that I'm a little more familiar with this album now. And what do you think, Joseph?
2: Not in consideration
1: for yeah. for me, but that's more of just personal
2: taste. I, mm-hmm. I don't have any real criticisms. I think that um, what he's doing on this album, he's doing exactly right. Um, yeah. I can say... Uh, with near certainty that um, it is going to show up on some lists that are su- submitted, it is considered a post-punk classic, yeah, uh, for, sure. for sure. So, so we will we will see. Um, it'll be curious to see if it makes the final, final top ten. Well, this is where we need to stop. We will cover the remaining November 1979 releases. In our supplemental episode that will be released uh, in a week and what will we be covering at that time rob
1: we'll be covering the reels album the reels simple minds real to real cacophony the dams machine gun etiquette the raincoats album the raincoats sham 69's the adventures of the hersham boys
2: so i forgot to mention this at the top of the show but we um that sort of experiment that we did last episode where we released the bonus episode with the with the remaining albums i think went pretty well um and so we're we're starting a new strategy you probably noticed that we featured Most of the albums that we featured, we featured two songs. So typically for a month, we will feature 14 songs. For November, we're featuring 19 songs. So we're just going to split it up into two episodes. So next week, we will release the supplemental episode that will have the remaining albums. So that's something uh, that you can look forward to. Sweet. It is time to wrap things up because we have the supplemental episode coming out next week we will not um, announce the December releases that we're going to cover until that episode so keep your eye open just one week to go Um, any last thoughts Rob before we sign off
1: no, I I mean, going forward, like we, we still have a lot of a lot of music to listen to before the end of the year.
2: Absolutely. Okay, everybody, we will talk to you in one week.
1: See ya.